I haven't met you yet, my name is Shane Hatfield. I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, we are starting a new sermon series in the book of Matthew. Uh, it is going to be on the harvest, on missions and evangelism. So we're going to be focusing on that for the next uh, few weeks. Um, I'll step aside as our scripture reading, uh, Sherry Hatfield will come up this morning and read the scripture for us, and then we'll study it. The scripture reading this morning is Matthew 9, 35 through 10, 4. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore... Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we do thank you uh, that your word never changes. Though we are like um, grass and our glory fades, the glory of your word does not change. So, Father, I pray that we would put our faith and our trust in, in Jesus that we find here in the scriptures and his words, and through him we find life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, after years of, of living on the farm as a little boy, you learned when harvest time had arrived, right? During the summertime, uh, the wheat would get golden brown and dry and dusty, and, and dad would pull out the combine, and he would start fixing the combine and getting it ready for harvest, and uh, he'd pull out the grain trucks, and he'd pull out that little yellow igloo water bottle that we always used. It always looked like it was on its last leg, but somehow it lasted for decades. We'd fill it up with water, and then I would hop in the combine with dad, and we'd go out to the field, and we would start cutting the wheat. And, and I remember as a little boy just being mesmerized by this if you've never seen a combine before, it's got this big uh, round, like it looks like teeth, and it pulls in the grain, and then it's got these, these sort of blades that go side to side, and they chop the wheat, and it brings it in, and it takes it in the combine, and through some mysterious process of threshing, it separates the, the wheat and the chaff, and then you have all this grain in the back of the combine. And I would sit there as a boy just, just mesmerized by it. And as I got older, you know, dad, he would, he would explain the process to me and he would teach me uh, all the, the levers and the buttons, everything that they would do. Uh, and then when I got a little older, then he would put me in his lap and he would let me hold onto the wheel and I would get to cut some of the wheat with him. And that process took place for years and years and years uh, until one day when I was a teenager, he came to me and he said, look, I've got too much work to do. I can't drive the combine today. It's your time. You are going to go out there and you're going to drive the combine 
you're going to bring in the harvest. There comes a point in every uh, disciple's life or every student's life when eventually you quit learning and you go to doing, right? Uh, Maybe you've been in the kitchen with mom and dad and you're learning how to cook and you learn all the steps and eventually you quit learning how to cook and you go to actually doing the cooking. Or maybe you're working out in the yard and you learn how to mow and you switch from watching mom and dad mow to actually doing the mowing. Or maybe you go to uh, school and you learn a craft or a trade and eventually you've got to graduate and you go use that craft or that trade. Um, in all these areas, at some point you go from, from watching and learning to doing. When our passage this morning, we see a similar shift take place in the life of the disciples. The disciples have been watching Jesus do his ministry. As verse 35 tells us, Jesus had been going through all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing people. And the whole time the disciples are watching him, they're learning, they're with him. But Jesus realizes there's a problem, two problems. He sees an overwhelming number of hurt and harassed people. And then he's just got him. (laughs) You know, the the other problem is it's just him. He's the only one doing this ministry. And so he realizes that now is the time he is going to have to begin to send out his disciples into the harvest. It's time for them to go from, from learning and watching the ministry of Jesus to actually doing the ministry of Jesus. So he commissions them to take his ministry to the masses. Just like my father did, he says, okay, it's time to quit watching and it's time to start doing. So this morning, as we look at this passage, as we study it, what I want you to see is that like the disciples, Jesus has commissioned the church to bring in his harvest. God is at work in the lives of people, bringing the gospel to bear in their hearts. And he has ordained that the way that those people will come to him is through his church going out and bringing in the harvest. He's decided to use us. He's he's sending us out like farmers to bring in his sheep, to carry out his ministry. And I believe there's three ways that we see in this passage, he wants us to do that. He wants us to cultivate ministries of compassion, prayer, and discipleship. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We bring in the harvest by cultivating ministries of compassion, prayer, and discipleship. The first thing we see is is that Jesus had a ministry of compassion, right? If you look at verse 36, it gives us a rare glimpse into the heart of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion means to suffer with someone. It means that you feel what they feel. So when Jesus saw these these people that were hurting and they were helpless and they're harassed, it was like a punch in the gut. Right? It, it, it grabbed his heart. There was something about it that pained him. He didn't see them with cynicism or disgust. Or, 
He saw them as sinners and sufferers who need a loving and sacrificial shepherd. Now, this this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, that's actually a common phrase that you'll see in the Old Testament. And, And what it's describing is the people of God not having good leaders. When the people of God were missing good prophets, good priests, and good kings, the Old Testament would say they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what Jesus sees is these people who need a true shepherd. They need a good shepherd. So Jesus, who is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, begins to move towards them with compassion. When he saw uh, the leopard, even though Jesus did not know the shame of a leopard, he felt compassion on the leopard. And so he moved towards him and he healed him. Uh, When he saw the paralyzed man, Even though Jesus didn't know guilt, he felt compassion on the paralyzed man. And so he moved towards him and he healed him. Even though Jesus didn't know evil, when he saw the evil that had uh, captured the the demon-possessed men in the tombs, he moved towards them and he healed them because he had compassion on them. He, He felt the suffering that they felt. And so he brought them hope and healing through his preaching and teaching and healing. It came from his compassion. Like Jesus, we live in a world filled with people who are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And if you look at um, philosophy and thinking, you can kind of see this trajectory in our culture, how how people more and more have been hurt and harassed by the, the thinking that, that's taking place in our culture. Uh, you see, uh, for, for centuries, modern people thought that we could improve the world and we could find ultimate truth through things like science and technology and religion. And so that's how they pursued uh, changing the world. And then, you know, the, the pendulum sort of swung from the modern world into the postmodern world. And the postmodern world says, well, there is no tr- ultimate truth in science and religion and technology. Uh, truth is relative. Truth is cultural. And so if you want to find ultimate truth, then you find it in cultures and societies. And now the pendulum has swung somewhere else. <laughs> And we've gone from that to uh, truth is ultimately found in the individual, specifically in the individual's feelings. And so now, as as, uh, the writer Paul Miller says, we're all consumed with feelism. This idea that whatever I feel is true and that whatever I feel is what I have to act on and do. And we see people all over the world who are helpless and harassed. They are hurting, they are sinning, and they are suffering because they are merely giving in to their feelings. And it has led to a fundamental breakdown of the self, of the family, of gender and identity and sexuality. It has led to um, the breakdown of our, our minds, we have widespread depression and anxiety and isolation because what feelism does is it puts a weight on the soul that the soul cannot bear. We were never created to be ruled by our feelings. And that feelism has infiltrated the church as well. And we've, we've assimilated and we've adopted it. 
and that has left us hurting and helpless and harassed. So what we need is like Jesus, the church needs to go forth with deeds of compassion, speaking the truth in love, but serving people with compassion. See, some people just want to speak the truth in love, and some people just want to have deeds of compassion. But what you see with Jesus is he did both, right? He taught in the synagogues, he preached the gospel, and he healed. For us to help people, we need both speak the truth in love and demonstrate deeds of compassion. Uh, We saw this at our ministry at OSU uh, very clearly in in a a student named Brandon. Uh, And Brandon came to our ministry because he was invited by a classmate. They were in a study group together, and uh, they were... uh, as, as our, one of our students got to know him, they saw that Brandon was lonely and isolated and alone. And so they invited Brandon to come to our ministry. And he showed up the first night and he was totally overwhelmed uh, by the people, by the Bible study, by the scene. Everything was kind of just too much for him. But our students welcomed him with open arms. They loved him. They cared for him. Uh, he kept coming back. Uh, Brandon was, uh, could be a difficult student at times because of his... Uh, because of his, uh, his personality, he would say abrasive things and he would do abrasive things. Uh, but our students kept loving him and kept pursuing him with the truth. And over time, we saw a, a radical transformation in Brandon's life. Where this uh, harassed and helpless sheep uh, began to um, put his faith in Christ and trust Jesus. He began to, to speak more kindly. He began to repent more quickly. Uh, He became actually even uh, a core member of our summer Bible study. And and this this boy went from someone who was lonely and isolated to where at the beginning of the the winter to by the summertime, he hosted our last summer Bible study. And and, uh, the students just rejoiced as Brandon brought out hot dogs and all of his favorite toppings to serve to all of the other students. This is going to take a hard turn, but I think it's an important part of the story. The day after Brandon served that Bible study and hosted that Bible study, he drove home to be with his family. He went to sleep, and he never woke up. He passed away. His, His literally one of his last acts on earth was hosting a Bible study for this campus ministry that loved him and cared for him. And he went to be with Jesus. And as I met with his family, they thanked me because Brandon had came back to the faith through our ministry. And because he had come back to the faith, they were going back to church as well. God used our ministry of compassion to bring a harvest in Brandon's life and in his family's life. How can we cultivate a a ministry of compassion in our church? How can we love people with grace and truth? How can we see the gospel save people from this feelism that is destroying them? God can use us to bring in that harvest. He does it through a ministry of compassion. He does it through a ministry of prayer. Look at verse 38. It says, therefore, earnestly, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is now, he doesn't tell his disciples what to pray very often. So we should probably pay attention when he does. But he commanded his disciples, he says, pray earnestly to send out laborers, workers into the harvest. 
This is a specific prayer for God to raise up more people to join him in his task of evangelism. Now, uh, I'm sure you've all, you know, seen how seeds grow and how crops grow. You don't have to be a farmer to know that. You, you probably did a, you know, an elementary school science project where you had to take the, uh, the, the styrofoam cup and put the dirt in the soil and put the seed in there and water it, right? So there's, there's this process with any crop that takes place where you have to have soil and somebody's got to plant the seed in the soil and then it's got to be watered Uh, You know, if you're working a field, it may need to be cultivated. You may need to spray it for weeds, all those sorts of things. And eventually, this mysterious process takes place where a plant begins to grow. Right now, I know biologists, they figured out photosynthesis and all that stuff, but we don't really know, right? Like, it's kind of mysterious. The farmer... There has to be a farmer to actually plant the seed and take care of the seed, but somehow it mysteriously grows. It's the same way in our spiritual lives. It's the same way with God's harvest, right? We need people to sow the seed of the gospel. We need workers to water the gospel. We need workers to tend the soil of our hearts. And somehow God uses that process to bring spiritual growth into our lives, to bring a harvest. And Jesus is saying, pray, because we need more people to sow the seed of the gospel. And nothing has changed from now, from then until now. We still, to this day, need more workers to share the gospel. Uh, I was talking to a, a man who's worked in church planning for decades. Basically, his, you know, his entire adult career has been in church planning. And he said that we are... Um, I think the numbers almost double. I'm terrible with numbers. I can't remember numbers. So I'm not even going to like lie to you about the numbers, but it was basically, we, we have the base. If you look at the number of churches that are closing in the world versus the number of churches that are being open in the world, we are way behind the number of churches that are being planted and started. We're closing far more churches than we're opening. He's saying we need more churches. We need more church planners. We need more people going out and sharing the gospel. Uh, at the Acts 29 conference that I went to this week, they were saying, we don't have enough church planners for all of our church plants. We need to be recruiting more and more church planners. We need to be training up more and more church planners. Uh, our denomination, the PCA, is, is trying to get, uh, they call it the 1%, uh, I guess, initiative. They're trying to get every congregation to, to send 1% of their folks to the mission field. Not just sending money, but actually raising up missionaries and sending them to the missions field. How is all that going to happen? Jesus says through prayer. (laughs) Through, Through asking God to work in the hearts of his people so that their lives are transformed and they go to the mission field. So we need to pray. We, we as a church need to cultivate a ministry of prayer, of praying with our missionaries, praying for our missionaries, and training up people to go be missionaries. Uh, I'm really thankful for one of our elders, Mike Hayes, who is leading our missions committee. They have, he's reconstituted it. 
They, they've, they're recharged, they're re-energized. And in April, we're gonna actually have a mission Sunday where we're gonna highlight our missionaries. We're gonna pray for our missionaries. Uh, we're gonna be putting up signs and passing out flyers. We're gonna be doing all kinds of stuff to help you know who our missionaries are so that you can pray for them and encourage them because the Holy Spirit will work through your prayer support and your finances to bring in the harvest. That's how God chooses to, to do it. Living by faith in him means praying for more missionaries. And so that's what we're going to do as a congregation. It's we're going to cultivate that ministry of prayer. So God brings in the harvest by cultivating a ministry of compassion, by cultivating a ministry of prayer, and then by cultivating a ministry of discipleship. If you look at verse 1, it says, And they called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. So Jesus didn't look up and go, oh, there's lots of ministry to do. I guess I better get some disciples. He had already been training disciples. He had already said, follow me and, and change their lives. So they were following him. They were learning his life and his ministry. They watched him, listened and learned as he taught in the synagogues, as he preached and as he healed. And now he gives them authority to go out and do ministry in his name to do the, the, the teaching and the healing and the casting out demons in his name. Now, if you've studied the book of Matthew before, do you know that there might, there's another spot near the end of Matthew where Jesus does this again? We call that the Great Commission. And notice what he says in the Great Commission. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go there, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe every, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here we see Jesus commissioning the apostles not to go out and heal, but to minister through the word and the sacrament. And as you look through the book of Acts and you look through the New Testament, you see that the emphasis is placed on a ministry of, of making disciples through the word and through the sacraments. And there are, there are uh, times when uh, the pastors or the elders or people in the church are praying for healing and, and, and doing a ministry of healing. But more often what you see is the ministry of the word and the sacraments. You see elders establishing churches and overseeing churches. You see deacons leading ministries of compassion and service, just like we have here, what we're trying to do here. We're trying to carry out the great commission of uh, bringing in the harvest through word and deed ministries to the elders and the deacons and through the congregation. It is our job to equip you for the work of ministry. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is life on life helping you follow Jesus and equipping you to serve in Jesus' kingdom. And I think the church and grace and peace needs to recommit themselves to discipleship. I think we've gone away from, the, from teaching people how to follow Jesus uh, in word and deed through word and sacraments. Uh, we've lost this idea of older people coming alongside younger people and walking them through the basics of the faith and teaching them how to do ministry. Younger people, let me prepare you for a phenomenon that's going to happen to you, right? 
at some point your parents and your elders are going to get really dumb and you're going to think they don't know anything. But then when you hit probably about your, I don't know, maybe like your early thirties, mid thirties, all of a sudden something's going to happen. They're going to get smarter and smarter. And you're going to go, oh, maybe I should have listened to my elders and to my parents and to my pastors and deacons and Bible study leaders. Don't wait until your mid thirties. <laughs> You need discipleship. You need training. And when you're, when you're in your 30s, you realize you need it. And then when you're 40s, you realize you need it even more. And then whenever you get in your other years, I don't know because I haven't been there yet, but I'm guessing that you still need it, that all of us need discipleship. And that one of the areas we need discipleship in is, is evangelism and missions. We need people to help us learn how to do evangelism in our everyday life. Now, um, if you're like me, many of you in here probably grew up in traditions and areas where evangelism was very heavily emphasized, and it felt pretty legalistic. It, it may have felt like every conversation you had, you had to really shoehorn the gospel into it, otherwise you weren't being a faithful Christian. And then you, you found this great theology that taught freedom in Christ that, that showed you that you are free in Jesus to just have a normal conversation with people and not feel like you have to shoehorn Jesus into it. And you sort of left all that evangelism behind. Let me, let me just encourage you to let the pendulum swing back towards the middle a little bit. That is okay to engage in evangelistic conversations. In fact, it is good to sometimes encourage people and point them to Jesus. You don't have to force it into every conversation, but we also don't want to go to the other extreme of never talking to people about Jesus. Are you going to, are you going to, is it going to go perfectly? No. Are you going to mess up and make mistakes? Yes. Are people always going to get converted? No, that's okay. God is sovereign. He's at work. Trust him. Well, as I was preaching this, it reminded me of uh, one day when I tried to share the gospel with someone at a taco truck. Uh, Joseph and I went, <laughs> we got tacos one day, and uh, there was a guy there, he was a plumber, and he was working on a church in town, and uh, he was telling me about this church, and he asked me if I knew about it, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't have a high opinion of this church. I think that they leave sheep helpless and harassed, and so I, I want to do anything I could to try to shoehorn Jesus into that conversation. <laughs> so my elevator speech basically came out like this. That's not Jesus. Jesus is cool. Come to my church. <laughs> the worst evangelistic plea I've ever given in my life. And you know what? He never came to our church. And that's okay. That is okay. I believe that, that, that God was happy because I tried. And that God will be happy when you try. He'll just be thankful that you're out there trying to spread his name. The, the best evangelism that I think I've done in my life has always been through creating a, a culture and a community of grace and inviting people into that like we did with Brandon. We created a culture of people who embodied grace and truth who did deeds of compassion, who spoke the truth in love. 
And I believe God blesses that into some really good evangelism. And that's hope, I hope that's the kind of church that we become. I think about evangelism as a rope with three strands. It's got to have personal relationships, the word, and the church. And at some point, you need all three of those strands pulling together to make effective evangelism. So that's what God uses to bring in this harvest. He brings in, uh, we cultivate ministries of compassion. We cultivate ministries of prayer. We cultivate ministries of discipleship. And God uses that to bring in his harvest. And and what he does is something miraculous and amazing. Uh, He begins to send people out. Uh, Jesus uh, sent out his disciples in twos. I love that. Uh, it says the name of the, the 12 apostles are these. And he goes and he lists all the apostles. And you'll notice that their names are in couplets. They're in pairs. Uh, the, in Luke's account, it says that he sent out the 72 in twos. Right? What is Jesus doing? He's sending people out in community. He's sending people out in relationships. What, what is he doing by getting 12 disciples? Where have we seen the number 12 before? Where is 12 significant in the Bible? Old Testament Israel. How many tribes were there? 12. Who failed to carry out the mission of God to spread his gospel on the earth to the nations? The 12 tribes of Israel. What is Jesus doing by gathering 12 disciples and sending them out to do ministry? He's saying that I am, I am re- I'm reconstituting, I'm recommissioning the people of God to go do ministry. Uh, and, and the 12, tr- 12 tribes symbolize the people of God. And now I have these 12 apostles symbolizing the God, the people of God. And now that ministry is carried out through the work and ministry of the church, through a community of people, not a group of individuals. And as we go out and we do evangelism in, in a community, then what that will do is that will utilize all the gifts of the body. Because everybody in here, you may not have the gift of evangelism or the gift of teaching, but everybody in here can contribute to the Great Commission by using their spiritual gifts for the work of the gospel. From the, the smallest, youngest member to the oldest. So he's telling us that we need the whole body, and he's warning against cultic personalities and celebrities. Your key to evangelism is not Shane and his personality and setting up his own personal ministry. God's ministry of evangelism is the gift of the church. It's a ministry of the church. And it's my job along with Steve and the elders and the deacons to equip you for that ministry. And we need more and more people that want to disciple, that want to pray, that want to do deeds of compassion, We need everybody in this room to be all pulling on the rope together. And when we're all pulling on the rope together, that's we'll we'll see the harvest come in. We'll see people come into faith. We'll see their lives transformed. And what we'll see is that Jesus transforms us in the process. And he, and he, he uh, he sends us out with this ministry of grace the same way that he brought us in. He sends us out the same way he brought us in. Uh, If you look at the names of these apostles, we don't know a lot about them, uh, but we know enough to get the picture of a very diverse group of people who were saved by God's grace. Think about Peter. Peter's always listed first. And Peter is the, uh, the, I mean, 
He is the first in faith and he is the first in foolishness. He proclaimed that Christ was Lord and, they, and, and Jesus called him the rock. And then a moment later, he said, <laughs> he, he said some outlandish thing like you shouldn't go to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. But the Lord saved him and the Lord used him. And then you have Matthew, the tax collector and Simon, the zealot, right? Matthew, the tax collector, he, <laughs> he was one of the most hated men in the area. He was a liar, a, a thief. And God rescued him. And then he brought him into this group with Simon the Zealot. So you know what a zealot is? A zealot was somebody who fought against the Roman government. He wanted to overthrow the government. Right? So you have the guy who wants to overthrow the Roman government along with the guy who was working for the Roman government. And Jesus saves them both, brings them into the disciples, and sends them both out to do ministry. That sounds an awful lot like the modern church bringing people together from the right and from the left, from different backgrounds, into a higher calling, a higher purpose, and a higher power to see the gospel go forth and transform lives. We're all sinners saved by God's grace that God sends out to bring in his harvest. And the more that we see God's grace and compassion to us, the moral hearts will be transformed and we'll go out and do his work. See, the thing about compassion is this. You will never have compassion on someone else until you see how God has had compassion on you. You will never leave the sheep, leave the 99 sheep in this room to go save the lost until you see that Jesus left the 99 to save you. You will never sow the seed of the gospel until you see that Jesus was the seed of the gospel that died on the cross so that you could be saved. You see, here's the thing about a harvest. A harvest can't happen until, unless something dies. The seed has to grow on the ground and it has to die. When that seed dies, that's when the transformation takes place. A resurrection occurs and a harvest can take place. Jesus died on the cross so that through his resurrection, you could be transformed into the harvest. And so that you could be sent out to be a part of bringing the harvest in somebody else's life. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the message that we take out. That's the message that we cultivate that God uses to bring in the harvest. So let's pray that he would do it. Please pray with me.